If you have your Bibles or your e-Bibles, or if you guys want to throw up Genesis chapter 24 from the back on the screen, that would be great. The title is, What If She Will Not Come? What if she will not come? This chapter has 67 verses. So being that I'm a teacher to the bone, that's homework to read those 67 verses and get a lot of awesome details from it. So I'll give you the synopsis of the story here. You have Abraham. He's got his chief steward, whose name is not given in this chapter, but if you check Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, the name Eliezer is given. So let's say Abraham, Eliezer is his chief steward. It's like Joseph, who's number two to Pharaoh in Egypt, in charge of everything Eliezer has. And then Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. Isaac is now marriageable age. And Abraham doesn't want Isaac to marry a local girl and an idolatrous Canaanite people. So he sends Eliezer loaded with camels of linen and jewelry and goods back to the homeland. If you're looking at the map of Israel going to Ur of the Chaldees which is in modern day Iraq. Go to my people where God called me from and find a bride for my son. And the crux of this title is Eliezer says, Master I can go and I can look for a girl. Maybe I can find one. But what if she will not come. That's the title of this message. In the old King James he says, peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Which in modern English is, what if she will not come? But I still like the old King James. You'll find out. Answer. Now, he says then, shall I take your son there? Abraham says, don't you dare take my son back. If she's not willing to come, you're free from this promise. And so he goes in long trip. It actually takes 13 and a half hours in today's world by car from Israel to Iraq. But it's about three weeks by camel caravan or three and a half weeks just to give us an idea. And after that tedious, arduous journey, Eliezer comes to the well and it's sundown, the time that the young maidens come to draw water, and he prays and says, God, I'm thirsty, my camels are parched, uh, I'm going to ask the girls to come for water, but the girl who says, I'll also fetch for your camels, I know that she's the one. He barely finishes his prayer, opens his eyes, he asks this one young lady, and she says, not only I'll fetch water for you, I'll get for your camels also. In America, we call that bingo! First girl! No, that's not what you should be playing though. <laughs> I mean, for fun, I guess it's okay. First girl is like, God, you've answered my prayer! And then goes to her house and meets her parents and he makes an incredible discovery that this girl, whose name is Rebecca, her father's father is Abraham's brother. That's incredible. Even eHarmony can't do that. <laughs> so you're in tune with the times, aren't you? Right. I mean, seriously, without any digital networking in those days, incredible. The fingerprints of God all over this thing. I saw someone looking at his wife as I said, but I thank God for that's how I found you. Was that so? Somebody was looking at his wife that way? Anyway, he then says, I need to take her back to my master. And they say, well, you just can't do that. We've got to call her and hear from her directly. And then they say, will you go with this man? What if she will not come? She comes back. She becomes the bride of Isaac, who's Abraham and Sarah's son. And that's where the story ends. That's the synopsis of this chapter. There's two incredible things, apart from so many details. There's amazing typology 
an inspired genealogy in this chapter. Typology. Abraham's a type of God the Father. He's loaded. He's like the Bill Gates of his time. Billionaire. God had blessed him in all things. Isaac is the seed of promise. Remember Sarah was barren for a long time. They couldn't have children. He's the promised child. He is a type of Jesus, who's our Messiah, the promised one. And then Eliezer, the chief steward, who's in charge of everything, is like the executor of Abraham's estate. So he's the type of the Holy Spirit. And the Eliezer, who's a type of the Holy Spirit, is tasked with finding, preparing the bride for the groom which is what the Holy Spirit has been doing 24-7 from the day of Pentecost. So he is sent. So that's amazing typology. You see, but Andrew, how does this apply to me? Remember, it's like the Holy Spirit saying to the Father, I can woo them. I can convince them. I can convict them of sin. But what if she? Who's the she now? You and me. The bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ. What if she will not come? So that's how we come right into this. What if she is not willing? Every person has freedom of choice, true or false. I commend everyone here today because you have the choice to get up when your alarm rang, get ready, and get yourself here. Everyone has freedom of choice, but no one has freedom from consequences. I can choose to go and spend three hours watching a movie from Hollywood tonight, which, you know, is overloaded generally with violence, foul language, promiscuity. I say this to people, no offense if your first name is Brad, just just a teaching point. Why would you ever want to name your son Brad only to find him end up in the pits? (laughs) I can choose to spend three hours watching that or 10, 15 minutes extra reading my Bible or listening to my audio Bible and talking to Jesus. This choice will take me that much farther away from God. This choice will bring me this much closer to God. After this meeting, I could go to the fellowship hall and put four teaspoons of sugar in my coffee. That will take me that much quicker to God. (laughs) We have no freedom from consequences, though we have freedom of choice. Psalm 40 verse 8. The psalmist messianically prophesying about the Messiah says, Psalm 40, 40, verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O God. And when the Lord Jesus walked the earth himself in person, John 4, 34, he says, and pardon me for quoting the old King James, we'll translate it. He says, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. My meat meaning my job, my task, my calling, my purpose, the reason I came to this planet. It's to do the will of my Father and to finish the work. And you hear him, hear him on the cross saying, it is finished. So what are you and I placed here on this earth for? Not to do my will, but thy will be done. 
to find and do His will, plan and purpose for our life. Everything else is trinkets and baubles. I want to bring you to something that is kind of strange. You need to indulge me a little time here. Before Eliezer could be sent, and if you're following in the scriptures, verse 2, Abraham says to Eliezer, Put your hand under my thigh and swear to me by the God of heaven that you will do what I'm tasking you to do. Now think about it. That sounds weird. You can sit in a circle of friends and you laugh and say, Oh, that's funny. You slap him on the thigh. But you don't put your hand under that thigh. Well, that's what the Bible says. Now the sad thing is, some ultra-modern translations have totally omitted this phrase. Three meanings for this. Put your hand under my thigh. We just saw the women win the World uh, Cup soccer, right? You've seen guys, they can kick the soccer ball from beyond, inside the half line into the goal. The femur is the biggest, longest, strongest bone of the human body from the hip to the knee. And so this muscle, the thigh muscle, is like we used to sing a chorus. You're the strength of my life. It's powerful. I mean, pound for pound, the striated cardiac heart muscle is the strongest in the body. I take your point. But this is the biggest powerful muscle. Put your hand on the strength of my life and swear to me you'll do what I tell you. Second meaning. Most of us have had this experience. People, someone sitting on the sofa and you just come and plonk yourself and you didn't realize the hand was outstretched. You accidentally sat on it. You say, oh, I'm sorry. It's kind of embarrassing, right? To sit on someone's hand the sign of submission. Submit to me, Eliezer, that you will do what I'm asking you to do. Third meaning, in Hebraic culture and custom, the phrase under the thigh was representative of the reproductive system which meant my children and my children's children, my progeny. Swear to me by my children and my grandchildren and yet unborn progeny that you will do what I'm tasking you to do. And some modern translations have omitted that phrase. Wow, isn't the word of God incredible? You do what I'm asking you to do now, Eliezer. God's will. What is God's will? Look at this verse. 2 Peter 3.9 2 Peter 3.9 God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, hear me now for some of those who are the tough black and white people like me. I used to be more harsh as a younger man. I'm getting a little mellow with age. God takes no pleasure in casting anyone into hell. No pleasure at all. It's not, here you go. No, 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 no. But he is forced to honor our choice. If I choose to reject his son, he has no other option. But it grieves him, it pains him when every single unsaved soul passes on. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what is God's will? We know His will. He is not willing that anyone should go to hell. So how will God's will be done? How will, watch this, this is like a 5th grade, 6th grade sentence. How will God's will be done? You ready? God's will will be done by willing people. That's too easy to forget. God's will will be done by willing people. But Lord, I need 
kick in the pants. I, I'm so indolent. I don't feel like it at times. Here's a verse then you can cry out to God. Psalm 110 verse 3. Psalms 110 verse 3. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Lord, give me a fresh baptism of your power. And I'm preaching to the choir when I share that we are standing here in Assemblies of God Church. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in Acts 1.8. But you shall receive Power, dunamis, dynamite after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So we know what God's will is, that no one should perish. We know how it will be done. God's will will be done by willing people. I ask you a quick question. What is God the Father's part in the plan of salvation? John 3.16, He gave His only Son. We happen to have only one son. You also have one son, Pastor Steve. No matter how much we say, I love you and the Lord, we're not giving our sons for each other, our son's life. God the Father's part in the plan of salvation is done. He gave his only begotten son. You think he's going to do it again? No. It's over. What's the part of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in the plan of salvation? He came to die. He was crushed. He drank that cup to the dregs and he was crushed. One more illustration from, not illustration, fact from your father, Sister Hilda. You've seen paintings by artists of the Lord Jesus kneeling with his elbows on a rock in Gethsemane. It's not what the scripture says. And those are pretty paintings. It says in the Gospels that he prayed in Gethsemane the more earnestly. Now how can Jesus be more earnest we could be earnest and more earnest. It literally means from the Greek, the more outstretchedly. He was flat out face down with his face in the dirt in Gethsemane. That's from your late dad. I went and double checked it all. He's right on the money, praise God. Not this pretty little picture. And he's sweating blood. The capillary is literally bursting with blood oozing out. The sun's part in the plan of salvation is done. True or false? What about the Holy Spirit? This expression comes from Australia. The Holy Spirit is flat out. You use the expression flat out here? Meaning busy. From the day of Pentecost, 24-7, He's working on wooing, convicting, convincing men and women and boys and girls of sin. So in Australia we say, uh, you know, you have the frilled neck lizard. You heard of the frilled neck lizard? It's a lizard, and it's got a flap of skin around the neck. And when it's threatened, it puts it out. And it looks kind of cool, but it's just trying to scare off a potential predator that, hey, I'm bigger and stronger than I look. That's what you call fake news. <laughs> Australia is the flattest, driest continent in the world. So when it comes to water, when it finds water, it plays out its forelegs and hind legs, its underbelly touching the hot sand, and it goes... <laughs> But it's keeping its eye out and this thing is flayed out, you know, splayed out. So when you ask an Aussie, how was work today, mate? Oh, it's flat out like a lizard drinking water. And from that we get the contraction, flat out. I submit to you the Holy Spirit, he is flat out, 24-7. Not 7-11, 24-7. Round the clock, around the world, all over the world. The Spirit is moving. True or false? He can't do any more. 
The Father's part is done. The Son's part is done. The Holy Spirit's part is continually being done. Whose part is left? The bride needs to be ready to come to her groom. What if she will not come? There are not millions, but billions of unreached or unsaved people in the world today. You know what God's plan is? We know the Great Commission. You can tell it to me by heart. Matthew 18, the last chapter, the last two verses, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Right? We know that. That's God's plan. That's His blueprint for us. And when I was a kid, especially in the AOG churches, my wife was president of the youth group when I was a frivolous young man. The only thing that's changed with me is I'm older now. We used to have our Sunday morning services like this, and Sunday evening was evangelistic and outreach meeting. And at the end of that meeting, invariably, we would sing like altar call hymns. One of them went like this. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Now think about it. Does that apply to the person who's already saved? Yes or no? No. It's for the unsaved person. So I'm not taking a show of hands, but more than likely most all of us here are saved today. We say, I'm born again. So then... Allow me to use my personal poetic license and change the lyrics for the believer. Because that's for the unsaved person, right? Are you ready? Please lock the door so nobody leaves on me. (laughs) From scripture. Go ye, go ye, ye who are lazy, go ye. I don't know about you, but I need to be challenged. I don't want to go back home the way I came. Holy Spirit, challenge me, change me. Our part is not yet done. So how is it going to be done? Here's another fifth grade statement. If it's to be, it's up to me. Let's say that again. How will God's will be done? It's going to be done by willing people, right? But if it's to be, this is not the time to turn to your neighbor and say, God bless you. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord. Not my father, mother, brother, preacher, pastor, deacon. It's me. If it's to be, it's up to me. You and I, Rebecca was that woman. She was that bride. You and I are that woman. We are that bride. Long story short, I told you about the term bingo. He comes, he prays God. The first girl, bow. She says, I'll even fetch for your cameras. Now get this. She starts, how much can a hungry man drink? Half a gallon of water? Maybe three-quarter gallon. After that, thank you very much. I want to go to Yoder's buffet, please. <laughs> okay. She fetches him a gallon. But she says, sir, I'll also fetch for your cameras. How much water can one thirsty parched camel drink? Are you ready? 16 gallons. How many camels in that caravan? 10. She offered to fetch 161, to draw 161 gallons from the well. That's what I call Wonder Woman. (laughs) Now watch this church, and there's a lot of teaching out there on TV. Might surprise you, I don't actually listen to many of them. I didn't say all, many. Watch this. She begins to keep, and there's a trough there for the animals. He's drunk. She's now pulling. 
Camel one, camel two. While she's sweating, serving, slaving, she has no idea that those ten camels already belong to her. And they're loaded with the finest linen and jewelry. That's not a store. It's the whole of Park City. While she's serving, sweating, and slaving, she has no idea that she's an heiress already. Instead, we get so distracted by my house, by my cabin at the Poconos, by my place at the shore, by my next car. Praise God for these things. But what says Matthew 6.33? Seek first the kingdom. Do the will of him. Seek first the kingdom and all these things. They're just bonuses. They'll come along. Instead, I've been to a certain minister's office. I won't tell you which denomination or where. This is a picture of this car. This is the car God said he's going to give me. Oh dear friend, just do what Jesus put us on this earth to do. He will add these things. They're merely bonuses. He's come here. What's the inspired, anointed genealogy? He comes to the house. They all got enough place for the ten camels. Rebecca's father's Bethuel. Bethuel's father's Nahor. Nahor and Abraham are brothers. Now watch this now. On the natural. Abraham and Nahor, probably five, ten years gap between them. They're siblings. Nahor has a son named Bethuel in the normal time. Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. Bethuel has a daughter named Rebecca. How come? You mean he snatched the cradle? There's a whole generation difference. But not so. In the normal span of time, Nahor has a son named Bethuel. In the normal span of time, they have no child because Sarah is barren. At the age of 90, God touches her womb. They have a son named Isaac while they have a daughter named Rebecca. So though he's only one generation from Abraham, she's two generations from Nahor, chronologically they are similar age. Every word of God is pure. Because when we read the genealogy, you know, Adam begat uh, Seth, Seth begat Jared, Jared begat. <laughs> Even the genealogy is inspired, my friend. Amazing. So they whine and dine him, they, you know, and then he says, Please let me go. God has blessed my way. And they said, No, you can't. We've got to ask the girl. And now we come to the climax of the whole story. If you want to skip over to 56, and he says to them, Don't hinder me. God has prospered my way. Send me back to my master. And they said, We will call a girl, verse 57, and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebecca and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. Here's another The third of three simple statements. Don't say no. Give and go. I want to qualify. When we say give, we're not just talking money. My life, my next breath is given to me by God. The talents he's given me, things you can do that I could never do in this lifetime of mine. 
All our gifts, our talents. Don't say no. Give and go. When she was asked, the woman Rebecca, who's a type of us, she said, yes, I will go. And because she said, yes, I will go. This is just from me, from no book. I believe she ended up becoming the silver medalist of all mothers from the time of creation. What do you mean, Andrew? Well, I figure Mary has got to have the gold medal. You can't top that. Come on, there's no contest. All right, so no one's jealous of her, ladies. Right, okay. How does Rebecca become silver medalist? Abraham, Isaac. She marries Isaac. Who's their son? Jacob. His name is changed too? To be the mother of Israel, you've got to be the silver medalist. Come on. At least in my book. Just a thought. She's the mother of Israel. And from Israel, Jacob, comes Judah, David. And then Jesus Christ, son of David. And now, oh, can I just make a little, th- share a little thought here? We Pentecostals. We know there's the nine fruit of the Spirit, nine gifts of the Spirit, but so many times we're caught, like, I want this gift, you know, coveting into prophecy, and then, you know, miracles and healings. By the way, Eliezer comes with the camels loaded. He's a type of the Holy Spirit. Who distributes the gifts? Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing? But her eyes were not focused on the gifts. Remember that. Stop looking at the gifts. Stop chasing after the gifts. The Holy Spirit has imbued us with gifts which will come to fruition to further the kingdom of God, not to elevate ourselves. And remember the Holy Spirit in the beginning, Genesis 1, the earth was chaotic and he brooded over the waters and what happened? Out came order. And life. You and I were in a lost chaotic state. He brooded over us. And out came order and life. Now, they get on the camel. She says, I will go. She takes her ladies in waiting. He's got some men. I mean, he didn't come three and a half weeks all alone with ten camels. You know what I mean? And they've got a lot of time while they camp for her to find out about her groom-to-be. And finally, they come to Abraham's lands. And she sees this. The Bible says, read it in this chapter. It was again sundown. Isaac had come out in the fields. You know what his dad, he knew what his dad and mom were up to. He knew they sent Eliezer to find him a bride. He's waiting for the girl of his dreams. And she espies this handsome dude in the distance. And she says to Eliezer, who is that man? He says, ma'am, that's my master's son, your bridegroom-to-be. Guess what she said? Stop the camel. Stop the camels. Get me down. Sir, thank you for all the gifts. Thank you for all the treasures. All the finest clothing and jewelry. Thank you for the gifts. But I want the giver. She went straight into Isaac's arms and became his bride. Pastor Stephen, thank you. Back to you.